0: All right, good morning, everybody. Let me adjust this mic just a little bit. Sorry about the noise. Welcome back to Driving Theology. My name is Mike, and it is an overcast. I mean, I can see a little bit of blue sky here and there, but it's mostly an overcast. Late, late, late January day. It is January 31st. Can't get any later than that in January. Uh... Yeah, so it's January 31st. And uh, yeah, I am heading to my job this uh, wonderful Wednesday. 2024, that's the date. Any of you guys have uh, trouble remembering what year it is early in the year? It takes a while for 2023 to be, become 2024. You know what, I need to make a phone call, just in case. <clears throat> hey Siri, call Tomoko on speaker. Calling Tomoko, mobile on speaker. have you just listen to this uh, gap? but I, th- I was going to ask her to send something for me, but, oh well, I guess i are to it electronically now, so it don't matter. And worst case, I could run it up there on Thursday or Friday. All right, anyway, uh, yeah, so last week I had a lecture. Uh, I do this lecture every year at Ibaraki University, um, which is the prefectual, uh, university. So I, I, work at Iraqi Christian University. Um, I am a adjunct, adjunct faculty member. Um, uh, but I went to Iraq University, which is a much bigger, uh, actually more prestigious university. It doesn't matter. I, I don't lecture there because I have prestige. I lecture there because they do a cultural lecture. Um, for their English students every year. So they have uh, four different lecturers come in for a day of lectures about uh, different uh, cultures. And uh, it's called an omnibus lecture, which basically means we can talk about whatever we want. Uh, And I've been doing uh, something on, uh, uh, basically on hermeneutics perspective, worldview, uh, this kind of thing the last couple years. And my goal has been uh, to open students' eyes to the fact that there are many perspectives, that when two people are faced with a problem, two people, two entities, whatever, you know, what have you, what is right and what is wrong is not immediately obvious uh, to everyone in the same way, right? There are various nuances and those nuances are uh, influenced by our our own perspective and our perspective is created by the experiences we've had, the education we've had uh, perhaps even biology uh, and Uh, religion, and all kinds of things make up uh, a person's perspective, right? And so when going in to negotiate... Oh, my wife's calling back. Hey, sorry. Hey. I was wondering if you would go ahead and mail that thing for me anyway. I was going to mail it on the way out, and I didn't mail it. Can you walk by the post box and just drop it in? Yes. When you walk the dogs, I guess. you're awesome. Thank you. Sorry. All right. Bye. All right. Love you. Bye. 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 Uh, so I guess my wife will be on this podcast. <laughs> she probably doesn't even know. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> uh, so well. That that was not the only conversation we had. We we had talked about this all morning and yesterday in the last couple days. And anyway, this has been a nagging little thing that's uh, been going on for a couple days. So finally, hopefully, it'll be taken care of today. And that's for that lecture that I did. So yeah, that's why I was calling her to get her to drop that in the box. So anyway, the the idea um, that there are many perspectives and. To every person, their own perspective is "quote unquote" correct. What it means is that when we get together to solve a problem or to negotiate or or uh, you know have any kind of diplomatic talks or even work on a project, we are doomed to failure if we don't realize that other people have a different perspective than us. And so the, the skill, well, first of all, the knowledge, right? The knowledge to know that my perspective is not all there is. Uh, and that if I'm going to work with somebody else toward a common goal, knowledge of their perspective would be infinitely useful. And so when you get together, Uh, to work with a person, to negotiate with a person, or to try to solve a problem or or work toward a common goal, Uh, knowledge of that person's perspective will help you uh, achieve that goal more painlessly, I believe, and more peacefully. Uh, And this is true with people in any kind of relationship but it's also true more on the corporate level, right? As we get into larger and larger groups, um, knowledge of, you know, whether it's a national perspective or a cultural perspective or a religious perspective uh, or just an individual perspective, it's always useful to try to understand why people have the opinions they have, you know, where are they coming from, To, to try to understand where a person is coming from, right? Um and that doesn't just mean geographically though it could entail geography right um so i've been doing this lecture i I think this was my fifth time the first time was face to face the uh subsequent three uh three years three times were um, online and this time was back to face to face (laughs) i kind of miss online now (laughs) Face-to-face is tough. It's, it's uh, energy draining. Uh, but, you know, you get to meet people on a much um, much more personal level and uh, you know, make new acquaintances. And That's something that's quite difficult to do uh, online, for sure. Uh, so actually seeing students' faces uh, was I think a really good thing. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't wish we'd go back to online. But for that particular lecture, you know, I was doing it basically in my street clothes from my computer desk in my nice, uh, comfortable home, and I could, I could turn off. Right, I, I could uh, put the kids to uh, to uh, discussing this or that topic. I could turn off my mic and my camera, and you know, go get a cup of coffee and take a breath. And I'm, I'm not under the microscope, you know, or. On stage, if you will, like like a a teacher in a classroom always is, and it's you know it's four and a half hours of lecture, so it's a ninety minute lecture and then about a forty minute lunch and then two consecutive ninety minute lectures with uh, ten minutes in between. It's just it's it's just you know pretty tiring. Um, it really wipes you out. I'm not sure I've actually quite um, recovered yet. Maybe. Oh, sorry, just sipping some coffee. I made. Mean, still too hot to sip, though. Ooh. Hot, hot. I'm going to open the top to let it vent a little bit. Uh, so what is going on with you folks? Um, I uh, got to spend time with my friend Jonathan last week. He has... Uh, he came in for a day. He spent the night with us last Wednesday night, and on Thursday we had a meeting uh, up at the university about uh, creating a volunteer group that would go into the uh, the, the recent earthquake uh, area. So there was a recent earthquake in Ishikawa, Japan, and uh, so we are um, trying to create a student group um, and quite possibly led by uh, mito church leadership to go into these areas uh, to help children uh, who have possibly been traumatized by all all the events up there. and You know, there are hundreds that have have died and and thousands of homes destroyed. Um, There were even um, some tidal waves, tsunami, that happened. Uh, i don't think they were too serious this time um certainly not like uh march eleventh two thousand eleven um, but uh, <clears throat> yeah, so that is um what happened oh, There's more ones in this earthquake. it was january first two thousand twenty four it happened on January 1st, so crazy. 1-1, so many ones in these earthquakes and events. The three, you know, the three three of the biggest for me was of course 9-11 and now 3-11 and now uh, 1-1, 2024. So lots of 1-1s in there, it's kind of strange. I don't know what the odds are, but anyway. Uh, yeah so we're, we're trying to get uh, some uh, permission and some uh, what's the word I'm looking for uh, institutional support I guess from the university to create these groups and hopefully that's gonna be able to go through and uh, we'll see what happens with that in the future uh, I may, I was involved in getting everybody together for the meeting, but I may or may not be involved in the actual, um, mission work that goes up there to, uh, to, uh, love on these kids. We'll see. Um, yeah. And yesterday we, uh, I had a, a couple of final tests for my discussion class, uh, and in the discussion class. I asked the uh, kids, what do you think the uh, greatest challenge that your generation will face in the years to come? So they're all, uh, a lot of them are graduating, they're graduating seniors, so they're about 21 or 22 years old. Uh, and um, they, they are really thinking about their future, right? They're, they're, they're being catapulted, if you will, into adulthood somewhat, bad timing, uh, and so, you know, they, they do, uh, think about, um, their future, say, more than, you know, high schoolers or freshmen, I would say, uh, they're all looking to get into the workforce, thank you, uh, and, uh, yeah, so that's, that's something that is, uh going on. Wow, there's a lot of traffic today. It's kind of strange. I think the way I went was a good way to go. Find out. <sighs> so it was nice listening to them and, and um trying to see what's on their hearts and uh, there are a lot of things in Japan that are uh worrying there always are, right? Every every generation has challenges that they deal with. When I was their age, I think the biggest things that worried me, um, I really wasn't worried as much about you know money and being able to make a living and, and all that stuff. So, uh, you know, I'm thinking I was going to grad school, and so that kind of defers a lot of the problems, but. At the same time, I was already married, and and my first child was on the way when I was about their age. Well, maybe a little older, I guess. Um, So, I guess in a sense, I was already more adult than them. I was, you know, we were paying rent and and uh, you know electricity bills, and and plus paying for my own college and all this stuff, getting loans, and you know, uh, we owned cars and some prop, not property, but some things. Uh, which is more than most Japanese students, I would say. Most Japanese college students are still more or less uh, dependent on their parents. I was dependent on my wife. <laughs> so, it's a little bit different, I guess. But still. So, back to what they were worried about. One of the biggest things they were worried about was an aging society and a decreasing birth rate. And so, in Japan, same as in America really, that the birth rate is decreasing uh, and the society is aging. So the biggest generation, the baby boomers, uh, is a huge generation. There are lots of kids born in the baby boom era. And so there are a lot of people, uh, the population increased and that, that population now is all retiring or retired already. And so they, are a big burden on the system. Now, they were also the generation with most of the money. But uh, the way Social Security works, I guess, is that the generation paying now is going to be taking care of those baby boomers. Now, the baby boomers didn't have anywhere near as many children as their parents did. And so this the generation coming after them is smaller, right? It's fewer people. Here in Japan, that's that's definitely the case because the Japanese population is decreasing year by year. There's a no, noticeable decrease in the population, uh, and to stop that, the government is thinking of uh, allowing uh, mass immigration from certain countries. But uh, what's happening is that the 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 kids coming in the next generation after the baby boomers which is my generation really and and after is having to take care of this group of people but they have uh, worse jobs, less money and there's fewer of them and so it's a it's sort of a generational burden right um, The way the government is set up governments weren't you know social, social security wasn't set up to serve a population where the, where the uh, birth rate was going to decrease. It was always set up with the idea that populations would increase because that had been the case up to that point. Now, population of some countries is increasing. America, for example, but the birth rate of Americans is decreasing, so a lot of Americans' population increase is coming from immigration, and America has a little bit more immigration than Japan, I'm sure, or, or a lot more. Uh, and so, J- Japan is contemplating this idea of allowing uh, more foreigners to pour into Japan and to become a part of the Japanese economy and Japanese society. Which is an interesting notion, right? Like it's, where I come from, it's a given that that just happens. In fact, we can't stop it. We have lots of illegal immigration. But Japan's an island, and they have a little bit more uh, control over immigration. And it's not been historically quite the uh, prime destination that America has been. Especially that, you know, the fact that America shares a border with a large country to the south Mexico, who is not as prosperous as Americans, So a lot of people are wanting to flee Mexico and go to America. That's always been the case. And then just south of them, you have lots of other uh, uh, countries in Central and South America, and they're coming through Mexico to get to America. Uh, And a lot of that immigration ends up being illegal. People uh, crossing the border without proper documentation. And Yeah, so that's one of the things that Japanese kids are really worried about. Um, They're worried about what does this mean for them? Does it mean their taxes are going to be raised really high? Are they going to have to pay a greater burden than their parents did, for example? Uh, And what does this mean in an era where wages are flat in Japan? There's very little wage increase in Japan, even though things are getting more and more expensive, there's very little wage increase. So does this mean that Japanese are going to become more and more in debt? Uh, or, you know, what does it mean? Are we, are, is, is Japan headed for poverty, for example, because of this huge burden of, uh, um, what did we call it, uh, population decrease and, and uh, low birth rate and low death rate, right? Old people are living longer and longer and longer. Uh, so all in all, it is an interesting thing. And it's all based basically on money, right? It's, it's foundationally a money issue. Will we have enough money to... And Japan's been spoiled, let's be honest. But, you know, Japanese kids want to know, will they have enough money to not only uh, live, but to have fun? Will they have enough money to travel like they want to? Will they have enough money to have the kind of lifestyle that their parents enjoyed? Uh, and right now it looks like no. Now, there's a lot of room for change. There's a lot of room for growth in Japanese business and, and a, a big need for a creativity in Japanese business, right? Uh, Japanese businesses need to, again, start competing uh, on the world market uh, for... Um, a greater market share uh, for their products, which means they have to continue to manufacture high-quality products, Uh, and unto that uh, goal, it's possible that Japan will automate more and more. In fact, uh, that's been the trend around the world, right, Uh, that AI and robot, uh, you know, robotics are taking over the manufacturing jobs, and this is another um, uh, another worry on Japanese kids' minds. Will will they be replaced by AI? Will will there be fewer jobs available because of AI? This is something they're worried about, right? Uh, and that is to be expected. Part of it's because right now AI has become such a buzzword. It's kind of new right now, right? It's kind of uh, something that everybody's talking about and thinking about. So it's it's kind of a big big topic right now. But I think in the practical sense, AI is not going to be quite as uh, all-encompassing as we fear it might become. Sure, there there are certain jobs that will be replaced by AI. AI I'm sure, it will happen. But AI is going to have to be policed as well, and it's going to, you know, the the final the final line is going to have to be humans watching out for uh, what these uh, things are doing, right? What these... Um, whether these devices are doing a good job or not, that has to be. Um, Ascertained by humans, I think, and you know, at the final, uh, at the final level or at the final stage, and maybe all that's going to mean is people will look at the bottom line. Uh, you know, is there is there a high profit margin or not? And if there's enough money, then yeah, maybe the people uh, who are evaluating uh, such things. Won't worry about anything else. Won't worry about the human cost or anything like that. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, because presumably AI only makes mm, businesses richer. It doesn't make the employees of the businesses richer, right? So if if you lose your job to AI. AI is going to continue to make money for the company, but you're not going to see any of that money. So the only people that will see that money are at the top of the chain. So the question is, what do we do with all these people who are out of work now? And they become a burden of the government. The government is then going to have to uh, take care of them, right, which is what happens in developed countries. We have uh, various social programs, uh, welfare and whatnot. Um, and so the burden on the governments can be higher and then the burden the governments may ask the uh, companies to pay a higher tax burden I, I just don't know what it's gonna do like i can't foresee for example teaching jobs being lost i can't foresee medical jobs being lost uh, i really i wouldn't have i would have thought that you know the the lowest paying jobs wouldn't be lost but you know, we're seeing more and more convenience stores run by AI. Uh, we're seeing uh, robots in restaurants. The um, thing is, those robots are going to have to be fixed. You know, they're going to have to be programmed. They're going to have to be fixed. Uh, AI is going to have to be continually updated and reprogrammed. And the question is, will AI be taking care of itself or we will people be... Supporting AI and keeping AI running—I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if AI can take care of itself. Um, it's a good question. It's a good question. Uh, I can foresee robot drivers. We already have self-driving cars. <sighs> Sorry, yawning. I Had such a good night's sleep last night, man. I slept like a rock Uh, I can see more and more self-driving cars because of safety issues Uh, certainly AI transportation AI train systems and bus systems possibly taxis coming online fairly quickly but again you know the I guess I guess we could save money because they're paying less labor maybe costs will decrease but we still need a certain amount of money to live. And what we found out is that humans need something to do. Right? We we all need to be productive. Right? We all need to do stuff. Um, productivity <clears throat> is uh, important. To human flourishing, right? To to have the um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, to to have the feeling that you are doing something, that you are working towards something, that you are not just taking up space, but that you are uh, a part of something bigger than yourself. I think people need that in their lives and I think when people lose that, we see a lot of depression. Uh, and in some cases we see a lot of crime because people will do something uh, and it's not always good. The thing they decide to do won't always be positive. Uh, too much time on your hands is, is not a good thing. And I've found that in my life, I've been kind of semi-retired for the last couple years haven't been working quite as many hours, and even in that situation, you know, the, when you have a, a consecutive days off, you can get kind of um, couch potato-y. Is that a word? Uh, you can become uh, very sedentary uh, and not move as much as you should, especially with the weather such it is, it, as it is in Japan. In Japan, it's either too wet, too humid, too hot, or too cold, uh, the amount of time where the weather is really nice is really quite small, um, and that's, for somebody that's affected by the weather, like I am, uh, that's a problem, right, it becomes a, yeah, it becomes a problem, but, yeah, So other things that they were worried about, they're worried about overuse and over uh, too much time spent on uh, their cell phones, uh, their smartphones, if you will. They are worried about that. Uh, That's something that they, uh, even though they're the generation that probably uh, has used smartphones more than any other generation, they do see uh, that something may happen to them because of their over-reliance on smartphones. Uh, they may stop to uh, think for themselves and if they stop thinking for the, themselves enough, uh, then perhaps they won't uh, organize their brains correctly. That you know, the, the proper synapses won't be connected and they may lose... Um, I guess they could lose intelligence. I don't know if we've seen that yet from smartphone usage. Um, but you know, there was a time when we would research and do research to find information. And that was a process, a certain kind of process. And it took time, right? Uh, we had to read a book and that book would point us to another book. And then in reading that book, we'd find a bibliography. And in that bibliography we'd find another source that may or may not point us to the, you know, so there was this process, of discovering information that is now all but obsolete because of Siri and, and uh, ChatGPT and even Wikipedia. Wikipedia has made it a little too easy as well. Um, so the question is, are our brains becoming less intelligent because they're doing less work? Is your brain a muscle in that sense? I think there's a pretty good possibility that it is. I'm actually not making as good a time as I usually do. Did I close this? Yes, I did close. Still going to be too hot to drink, I think. Yeah, maybe running just a bit late. Traffic's kind of heavy today. <clears throat> Kinda of strange. Yeah, and then you know there seems to be other things that are on the rise. For example, ADHD, um, attention deficit um, disorder, and things like this. Uh, I'm not. I'm still not sure it's a disorder, but anyway, uh, there do seem to be more and more a psychological or mental. Uh, things that we are seeing in people but the question is are we are we seeing more of that or has our vision just improved and and I think it's probably a little of both um, I don't know but I, I, I certainly know that today more than any other time we're more aware that such things exist and we look out for them in kids and, and people right we tend to make a lot of uh, amateur diagnoses uh, because we just know more about it than we used to right so as someone who's around kids a lot of all ages I do see kids who I wonder mm, are they autistic mm, does this kid have ADHD is that kid depressed uh, you know is this kid dealing with this or that we we know more about that than ever before, and so our vision for such things has, has improved, right? Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean there's more of it. Uh, it could just mean that we we just see better than we used to, I don't know. Uh, but I'm sure there, there is literature out there that will um, make one case or the other uh, for that. Which is another thing, you know, another thing that kids are facing is that they know more and more about the faults of everybody who is in uh, an authority, right? So there's, I think, there's less and less trust of authority, which is good to an extent, but it can also have its downside as well, right? For sure. Um, because authority is what, uh, you know, keeps chaos at bay. And when I say authority, I suppose I just mean leadership, but leadership's job, one of leadership's jobs is to keep, uh, chaos at bay, uh, to keep it safely at a safe distance, uh, unless, you know, we want to safely go into chaos in order to be creative and things like this. But, you know, chaos is kept at a safe distance by leadership and authority. And and uh, what we're finding out is that authority and leadership is more, uh, they are more acquainted with chaos than we realized. That perhaps they're a part of the, the very problems they uh, supposedly are are, are fixing. Right, and you know, fewer, fewer and fewer people can hide today. There's just too much information, and we communicate too quickly. Secrets get out. Right, things are known fast, uh, and then you know that's another thing that they're worried about is cyberbullying because information gets out and and is disseminated so quickly. Uh, their cancel culture. Uh, does have a very dark side. Now, there are people who have been canceled that needed to be called out, right? There are. That that does happen. But there are also false rumors, uh, things that are not true that also gets out uh, and is taken to be true just because it's on the internet or Twitter or Instagram or TikTok or whatever, people's lives can be damaged uh, just with a couple texted words. Uh, This recently uh, happened in a school in Tokyo that I heard about where, you know, just kids gossiping. Uh, almost, you know, ruined a a teacher's livelihood because what they were saying was not true. Uh, Words hurt, and I think kids, uh, young people are starting to realize that, that that the Internet is not just a toy. Uh, It is used to do a lot of damage to people, Uh, and the damage is real. Just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's not real damage, it's, 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 it's real damage. right? People are actually being hurt uh, by the things that are said online. And so this is, a, this is something that the kids talked about, that they're worried about. They're worried about spending too much time on their uh, smartphones, but they're also worried about the things that, that are being said uh, on the internet. Cyberbullying is what they called it, um, which is certainly a thing, right? It's it's a big it's a problem, um, and they're worried about it. That's good. I'm glad they're worried about it because their generation uh, is the one that's going to have to do something about it, right? There's going to have to be a re a rethinking. We have to change the way we think, and a rediscovering of trust right? We can't live in a world where there is no trust between anyone. To not trust anyone is to live solidly in a world of chaos. Now, by the same token, trusting the wrong person and being betrayed also creates a lot of chaos. And so there has to be, there just needs to be a rethinking, right? There needs to be a a resettling. Everything is so unsettled right now. Right? Who do we trust? Who do we not trust? Uh, there needs to be uh, some work done to solve that problem. And I have a feeling that trust is going to go back into the hands of trustworthy people eventually. You know, people who, who have done the work. People who uh, have the knowledge and the wisdom. Uh, it's not going to be AI because AI is too impersonal. Uh, we need we need to have trust from human to human, right? We need to be able to trust someone. And of course, as a Christian, I hope that that that's going to lead to people realizing that that Jesus can be trusted. That that in reading about Jesus, we can see that he foresaw a lot of. A lot of the things that the world is dealing with and that the message that he spoke his good news his gospel if you will um, is the cure to everything that that uh, infects the world he is the cure and his message is the cure his message of love and acceptance forgiveness his message of family uh, all of these things, this kind of structure right faith in Christ and his message uh, really is the cure for all that ails us, right and I think that I, I, my faith is such that I think we will get there one day that the entire world one day will get there um, in this life or the next um, but until that time uh, we have um, faith in one another right uh, faith in, in the people that love us and faith in our own ability to love others so I'm going to have to run into work, I'm running just a tad late not late yet but about the time I get in the door probably. Uh, so you guys uh, have a great day and uh, we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.